Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Learn to Love podcast, your guide to everything love, sex, intimacy, and relationships. Each week, your host, Zach Beach, interviews new experts on love, including couples therapists, relationship coaches, sex educators, and best-selling authors. Learn the best tips and cutting-edge wisdom to better love yourself, others, and the world. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the Learn to Love podcast, everyone. I am your host, Zach Beach, and I'm here with the incredible therapist, author, and fellow podcast host, Anita Stoudmire. Hi, Anita, and welcome to the show. Welcome, Zach. Thank you so much for having me on today. Today, we are going to talk about breakup survival skills. But before we get into that, let's learn a little bit more about Anita. For those that don't know, Anita Stoudmire is a licensed professional therapist, author, and love mentor who believes the quality of our lives are much richer when our personal relationships are healthy and fulfilling. She is the founder of the Better Love Movement, an online coaching business that helps women of all ages master their feminine power and create the relationships they want. The Better Love Movement is home to online courses, resources, and the Better Love Podcast. Anita's private counseling practice, known as the Growth Therapy Center focuses on couples counseling and relationship issues for singles. Hello, Anita. How are you doing today? I am doing great. We just had a storm pass, and so I'm just thankful to have electricity. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, good. I'm glad you have electricity, too. Yep, yep. Because now we can connect. And I was really happy when I came across your business, The Better Love Movement, and I'm so curious about what drove you to create such an enterprise. Well, I have always been fascinated with relationships, especially romantic relationships. And as someone who has had 11 or 12 great loves in my life, I've just always been fascinated by them. And so I know that when our relationships are not great, all the other areas of our lives suffer. And when our relationships are good, our lives are so much better. So I am extremely passionate about helping people to get the skills of having a great relationship because people bring the love like everyone has love, but love is not enough. It takes good skills to have a healthy relationship. So let's talk about some of those skills because I keep thinking better love. Hmm, What is like good love? And then what is better love? What is the path to better love? What are some skills that you find yourself teaching many of your clients? So number one is effective communication skills. So, so many folks, they communicate, they talk. I find that a lot of my couples talk, but their communication is not effective. And so I teach them how to have more effective communication with each other. And then right behind that is listening skills. A lot of people don't have great listening skills, and so they need to learn how to listen better. I'm tempted to talk about the latter, so the listening skills, because mm. I'm sure many listeners are listening right now and they right. think that they're incredible at listening. <laughs> <laughs> right. I remember a meditation teacher telling me that listening is one of the most difficult tasks we have as human beings because of just how challenging it is to turn down our own internal static in the mind and actually receive somebody else's presence. So how do you focus on developing people's listening skills? 
Well, I think it's important that people understand that it is absolutely necessary to really pay attention to the feelings behind people's words, listen to really understand where they're coming from. And again, we don't have to agree with it. We just want to attempt to understand it. But sometimes you can just kind of read between the lines when you are listening. You know, sometimes it's not so much the words that people are using. It could be the tone. It could be there's so many different nuances. So I really try to train people to look for those nuances and not get caught up in just the words. So what are some signs of a good listener? A person who is actively listening is giving eye contact. They are giving a facial expression that they are really intently hearing what's being said. They could be nodding. They could be going, "Uh uh-huh, tell me more. You know, tell me more about that. But they are going to be connected to the person who is talking. And we can add this, too. They may even try to summarize a little bit of what that person said just to make sure they understood it. So that brings to mind what might happen in the therapist's office. Mm -hmm. And you've been a therapist for many years, focusing on couples and relationship issues. And let's say a couple comes into your office and it's clear that there's a lot of anger, there's a lot of resentment, and there's just a huge distance between the two. So how do you put them back on the path to listening to each other again? Well, if they've gotten to that point, that basically means that there is some contempt there. And contempt is one of those things that can be the hardest thing to heal, because once we stop seeing our partner as the person we love, the person we fell in love with, um, the person we like, that can be really, really difficult. So I try to help them ease the contempt that they have for each other. And it can take a good while, but once they actually start to remember, you know, this person is someone I love, this person is someone um, that has wonderful traits, someone I love and appreciate, then they can start to really hear that person again and talk to that person again. So once we sort of have moved from like distance to like being able to communicate to each other. Again, what's that path towards better love? How do we deepen the intimacy and move just from having like a good relationship to a great, amazing, incredible relationship? So I am a Gottman trained seven principles leader. I teach a couples workshop, which has been on hiatus because of the pandemic. But one of the things Gottman says, which I 100% agree with, is the small things often. So a lot of times couples they miss out on just the small things. It's the small things that keep us attached and falling in love with our partner over and over. And I mean, mindfulness is like, that's the thing people are talking about today is being mindful, um, being present. And yes, it does require that we be mindful, that we be present day to day. I find so many people run their lives on autopilot. So they have an autopilot greeting in the morning and an autopilot greeting when they come in and they will send the same text, you know, and they get caught in that loop. But that doesn't feel good to most people. Like once people catch on, wow, this is a pretty, you know, standard greeting that I'm getting day in and day out. These, you know, this doesn't feel good. This doesn't feel intentional. That's what kind of wears people down. So I really encourage people to be present, to get more mindful with their partner and to, you know, switch it up, 
you know, like switch it up. Don't say the same, you know, greeting in the morning, greeting when you come back together and send the same texts and ask the same questions, you know, try to switch it up. Just be more mindful, be more present. I love that. The small things often. Right. You know, it's funny because I'm working at home with my partner mm-hmm. partner, and, you know, we see each other 20 times a day. And each right. time you give yourself <laughs> a little hug or a kiss. And at one point I was like, is this too much? And I was like, mm-hmm. no, of course not. You know, we need these little like small things so that, often in our that's day. That's it. That's it. That's great. I love it. I love it. So, yes. And even a look, you know, I tell a lot of couples that if you're not up to doing, you know, a text or a hug or a kiss, it could even be a look. Just that knowing look can connect you to your partner. I love that. So, so far we've been talking about kind of the established relationship. Mm -hmm. We can start to move towards kind of the beginning stages of relationships and also the end stages. We can talk about breakup skills in just a moment. Mm -hmm. But I wanted to ask you about the romance hamster wheel. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> which is a new concept uh, I hadn't discovered till till your website. So what exactly is the romance hamster wheel and how do we break out of it? It is basically this idea. Um, and, you know, unfortunately, I have to blame a lot of our childhood programming. So we all got some form of childhood programming about love and relationships and romance and all of that. Women definitely we're, we're guilty of this, the Cinderella syndrome, you know, and someday my prince will come and we don't know how to truly be in a good love relationship or be comfortable in our love relationship. So it's not always going to feel like butterflies or that roller coaster. Um, but a lot of people have gotten on that that wheel that says, you know, as long as it feels good and exciting, you know, that's how I know it's great. And then if I don't feel that anymore, then I jump off and I jump on with someone new. And they can do that many, many, many times. I've been guilty of that. I have been guilty of that. So it's once I realize that it's that deep, connected love that guess what? You know, our bodies cannot stay in this heightened state of staying on the phone all night and the butterflies and the nervousness. Our body can't stay in that state. It has to calm down. And that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. That yes, at some point, the love for your partner should deepen over time. It shouldn't be this butterflies and every time I look at you, you know, I want to break out into song. That's a Disney movie. That's not real. So I have to kind of definitely talk with women about that, that don't believe that because you're not feeling as excited to see your partner every time you see them, that that's not love. No, it very much can be. It's a deeper, more connected form of love. Yeah. So the romance hamster wheel is kind of those people who get sort of addicted to the what we call new relationship energy, Mm -hmm. that like just huge burst of of dopamine and other transmitters that bring you obsessive thoughts about the partner and butterflies (laughs) in the stomach. And then, you know, a lot of people, when they start to feel this fade, could be six months, 18 months into a relationship. They start to think, oh, well, clearly this isn't the the right relationship and then move on to the next one. How do we break out of that? Because I do know when you look at when relationships tend to break up, mm-hmm. there is a huge peak around that time and that stage. So what kind of expectations should relationships set at the beginning? And how do we sort of overcome that little hump of when the passion seems to be ebbing and we seem to be transitioning to something different? Well, it's just a matter of seeing it through. 
So one of the two questions I ask people to ask themselves is, you know, how do I feel about this person? Let's say if it's two years in, how do I feel about this person? And if that answer is, you know, I feel good. I feel like this person and I have a great relationship or we have a good understanding of each other. And then the second question is, how does this person treat me? And if you can answer that in a way that says, you know, I am treated well, I am, you know, loved and cared for, I'm respected, this person and I do things together, and we have similar hobbies and interests, and I feel good, I feel supported. So as long as those two things are in play, I want you to let your logic override your heart here to say, yes, this is a healthy relationship. I always tell people healthy love is a 50-50 blend of head and heart. So we're not going to just drive on our heart or our feelings. We have to enter logic into it as well. So those two things come together and they create a wonderfully healthy, long-lasting relationship with someone. So healthy love is a 50-50 blend of head and heart. Right. That reminds me, you know, a lot of people will say, well, love isn't enough, you know, because they focus a little bit too much on those overwhelming emotions and they forget that the the 50% that is the head as well. Right. That's right. So I appreciate you bringing up appreciation and feeling gratitude and just recognizing your partner makes you feel good Mm -hmm. and that you feel supported in your relationship. And that's very good reason for the relationship to continue. Right. And to get over that sort of like two year hump. So before we get into breakup survival skills, let's talk about why and when a relationship might need to break up or just breaking up is the best path that a relationship should go on. You know, it could even be a couple walking into your office and you look at their relationship and you say, yes, this is clearly not working. It might not even be salvageable. So couples in relationships, when is breaking up the best option? So the number one thing that I would say to that is when people hold very different values. That is a huge indicator for me that the relationship probably will not work well. These two people have very different values. And whether those values are around marriage or commitment or children or how we handle exes or money or religion, spirituality or health and fitness. I mean, there are just so many things. And when those values clash It's like we would be asking one or the other person to basically betray themselves to stay in this relationship. And I have told many a couple, I will never co-sign that. I will never ask you to betray yourself to be in a relationship with someone. You have to honor yourself. And if this is a value that you hold, okay, then this person may not be the best fit for you. And that's okay. So what's an example of two people with starkly different values? So, for instance, the commitment issue. I have a lot of women uh, and some men. I've had some men come in and talk about this where, you know, they want to be married. And I really encourage my ladies to tell a man, yes, I want to be a wife one day. I see myself being a wife and having a family, having children. And so if that is a value that you hold and there's nothing wrong with that, and you're with someone who says, well, you know, I could see myself in a long-term relationship or like living together or being committed. I just don't know if I agree with the marriage. I don't know if I agree with the legal aspect of it all. Why can't we just be together and be committed to each other? And so let's say the first person, that value is rooted in their faith. I was raised in this faith that marriage is the goal. 
so that they are just too different. They will probably not be able to come together without one person betraying themselves and and their value, their belief. And so to that, I say, yeah, you're going to have to seek out someone that has that value also, that for them, that wouldn't be an issue. Oh, that's so important, you know, because when you said like different religions, I'm like, I think it's totally possible for two people in different religions to be in a relationship. But absolutely, if the values around that that religion are, are very different, particularly right. around marriage, marriage and commitment and even equality. Right, you know, right. And the genders. Mm-hmm. So let's say I'm in a relationship and we've had a big, long discussion with my partner around money and we realize that we have incredibly different values around saving it and how it should be spent. And, you know, breaking up becomes a mutual decision. And still, my heart is broken, right? I'm I'm an emotional wreck because I'm often surprised at just how challenging breakups can be, even when it's mutual, even when both partners clearly think that it's the best path forward. It doesn't seem evolutionary advantageous to end the relationship and then be depressed for the next three to six months and and not able to enter into another relationship very quickly. So before we talk about surviving a breakup, just why are breakups so challenging? Well, that's because if you want a a clinical answer, a biological answer. So your brain gets rewired every time you are in a long-term relationship. By that, I mean usually right around a year. So if it's been about a year or longer, your brain has now been rewired for this person. You have in some instances changed, you know, your brain and pathways in your brain around this person. Your brain has been rewired around their voice, around their smell, around their touch. And so it's almost like drugs. Like they say, going through a breakup is like, you know, getting off of drugs. You have to detox from that person. And here's the thing. If you smell them, taste them, touch them, see them, hear them, see, it will reignite those synapses in your brain again. And your brain will go, oh, I remember, I remember. So that's why the no contact is so important, that you give your brain a chance to detox off of that person and that relationship. Because our brain, it wants to keep us safe, but it also wants to keep us in situations that are familiar. So when that breakup happens and our brain is going, what, this is not right. Where's my person? Where's their voice? Where's the sight of them and the touch of them and the smell of them? It wants us to go down that road over and over. It explains why people will stalk people's Facebook or they'll call a person or they'll listen to their voicemail because your brain (laughs) wants to seek out what it wants. But you have got to detox and you've got to take your brain in an unfamiliar direction, which is a direction of healing. So how long is that detox period? You know, one of my great mentors, her name is Dr. Patricia Allen. She says it could take as long as two years. So it really depends on the person. Some people, I've seen people go through that detox in three months. I've seen some people take six months, a year. Um, But she says it'll take two years of giving your brain a chance to get rid of those neural pathways and create new neural pathways in a different direction. All right. Three months to two years of detox. Yep. So that might be one sort of survival skill we want to think about in Mm -hmm. going through a breakup is sort of cutting off all contact, not going into their Facebook profile and clicking, you know, to all the past photos of you. Right. And What are some other skills or techniques that we want to bring into our lives when we are going through a challenging breakup? 
So I always tell people that breakups are a three-step process. We have to go through all three of these steps. Sometimes we will revisit the steps, like we will get to number two and go back to one, or we'll get to number three and go back to two, or however that works. But three things must happen. Number one, I encourage people to grieve and mourn the loss of the person as well as the relationship. And so again, how long that takes depends on person to person. Some people can do it in a matter of days or weeks. Some people, it takes months. But we must grieve. We must mourn that loss because it is a loss, right? It is a loss. It's a loss of that person that we once loved and cared about, but it's also a loss of the dream. So there was a dream we had for this relationship and being together forever, and that didn't happen. So that's the first step. We've got to grieve or mourn the loss of the person in the relationship. Then the second step, we're going to move into assessing from the start to the end of the relationship. We're going to assess it. We're really going to pick it apart and we're going to try to find the lessons. What were the lessons that this relationship and this person taught us? Right. And then we're going to own our part of it, because even if we're cheated on or someone treats us badly, we still have a part to play and we've got to figure out what that part was. So I really encourage people to do this. You've got to own your part of it, um, but you're also going to learn some lessons. What were the lessons there? And then the third step is you must heal. And the healing, so I always tell people healing equals time plus work. Those two things together will give you the healing that you need. Now, again, the time, it depends person to person. Some people, it can be a few weeks or months. Um, I definitely don't encourage it to be any less than, you know, two or three months because you're in that period of what we call the rebound period. But take some time and then do some work. And the work could be listening to podcasts like this. It could be watching YouTube (laughs) videos. It could be reading books. It could be, you know, exercising, meditating, talking to a therapist, talking to a friend. You're going to do some work on yourself and your relationship skills. And see, you, you have a list because you did number two. You assessed, like, what was my part in this? What are some things I could do better? What are some things I shouldn't allow? Maybe I allowed some things that I shouldn't have. I, I let some boundaries get crossed. That's where you're going to get the work from is part two of this. All right. So breakups are a three-step process. First, mm-hmm. we grieve and we mourn. Yep. And step two, we assess and we own. Yep. And then step three is we heal. That's it. And... So you mentioned during like the healing phase, this idea of the rebound of being in the rebound phase. And I'm wondering what your advice around when somebody is ready to enter into a new relationship again. There are some people who after ending a relationship, they hop on Tinder and they say, you know, I'm not looking for anything serious. And they just want to like have some flings, right, before entering into a serious relationship again. So that's one strategy. But what would your advice be for somebody who might be still in the rebound phase? So one of the things I don't like about the idea of people trying to jump back out there, trying to have flings or not have anything serious is I want people to own what is their ultimate goal. Like, what is your ultimate goal for a romantic relationship? If someone told me my ultimate goal is to get married, my ultimate goal is to get married, have a family, or my ultimate goal is to just have a long-term relationship, then here's what I would say to that. 
If you are out here having flings, if you are out here, you know, dating a bunch of people and and having flings with them or having fun with them, how is that preparing you for your ultimate goal? How is that behavior really preparing you to be in a healthy, happy, longstanding marriage? So that's part of the danger, I think, of that behavior is you've really got to be careful about that because what we practice over and over is what we get really good at. And if you are practicing, you know, talking to a lot of different people, sleeping with a lot of different people, you know, not really being intimate, and I'm not talking about sex, it's going to be hard to do that when you find this person that may be your one because you've not practiced. You've not practiced being truly intimate. You've not practiced being with just one person. You've not practiced with really having a deep heart connection. So I really steer people away from the rebound behavior. I tell them, take the time necessary, do the work. What is your ultimate goal? And I want you to act from that ultimate goal. If your ultimate goal is not, you know, dating a bunch of different people and just hooking up with a bunch of different people, then don't do that because you're not in good practice to have what it is you say you really want. You're in practice of hooking up with a bunch of different people and dating a bunch of different people. (laughs) So now that's your ultimate goal. Great. Then you're ready. You're ready to do that. But most people, that's not their ultimate goal. So I really steer people away from that behavior. Take the time necessary to heal. And you can definitely see people out. You can flirt a little. You can make eye contact. You know, you can get the feels from people. But I just don't encourage diving right back out there because the chances are you're going to hurt yourself and someone else when you do that. Like, that's just not a good idea. So. I love this process that you just outlined, the grieving, the assessing, and the healing. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering how that ties into not carrying over the hurt from past relationships into new relationships. And sometimes the term is baggage for the emotional challenges that we had in a previous relationship that we then carry into the next one. But I'm wondering about people who feel that they have been hurt or people who feel that they have been betrayed. And as a result, when they enter into a new relationship, they have their guard up, they have some resistance. Or some people even lose their faith in love totally. They say, well, you know, I was married for five years and then my partner was cheating on me and love doesn't last and and love is a myth and I never want to put myself out there ever again, right? So how do we heal over our past hurts and find the courage to be vulnerable again with a new partner? So that's a part of that healing process. That healing process is taking the time necessary, but also doing that work. We have to do that work on ourselves. We have to get the skills necessary to have a healthy relationship. And I'm going to be honest, 95% of us got a lot of dysfunctional relationship skills from our family of origin, me included, right? That's how we learned how to, quote unquote, do relationships, or we figured it out by trial and error. And so this is a skill we can all learn. And I believe if we keep our head about us, again, 50% heart, 50% head, we have to keep logic in this process, which is, okay, that one person out of the billions of people on the planet was not trustworthy, was not honest, was cheating. We have to keep our head about us. We can't just make it about how we feel. But it's, we just have to use logic here to say, 
yes, that was one person out of the billions of people on the planet um, that hurt me. And then two, owning our part of it. Are there things that happened that I did not see? Are there things that happened that I allowed? We just have to use both sides. We have to use our feelings. We're moving through the world feeling, but then we also have to use some logic with this too. So that's one of the things I really have to help people to keep in touch with is to not solely live in that feeling place. Because if they do, they'll say, yes, you know, I felt horrible. This person betrayed me. This person cheated on me. And I, you know, I'm just can't get over that feeling. And I say, okay, let's let's come over into the land of logic and let's try to stay there for a little while. Let's learn some skills. Let's learn some ways to communicate. Let's be transparent or open about the wounds that we have. That works so well. When I teach my clients on how to be transparent about their wounds, that for some reason works so well. People are like refreshed, like, wow, you actually own that. Yeah, I got cheated on by a previous partner and you know, I'm a little I'm a little gun shy. I'm a little leery of, you know, trusting again, but you know what? I know that this is something I want to do. I know that this is something I need to work through. That works so well. People love that. And so I just encourage people, you got to own it. You own it and let people know I'm working through this. Here's how you could help me. Here's how you could support me in that process. People love that. I teach people, yeah, I want you to own your wounds. Like, you know, let people know, yeah, I've been hurt before. I've been betrayed before. And I've just, you know, that's something that has definitely colored who I am as a person. And yet I don't want to lead with that. I definitely don't want to lead with that anymore. I want to learn how to trust again. I love your advice to own it. Yeah. (laughs) Earlier you mentioned to own your ultimate goal. That's it. And in this case, owning your wounds, owning your experience and taking responsibility for it. That's it. And I imagine for many partners, that's a relief, right? Mm -hmm. On the one hand, there's like you saying, you know, my last partner cheated on me, so you better be extra honest with me versus, you know, my last partner cheated with me, so I'm a little sensitive, right? you know, I'm a little wounded and I'm working on it and I appreciate your help with it. It's such a wonderful switch. Yep, that's it. That's it. So it's not about the new person and you let them know that. It's not about you. You haven't hurt me. And I had a podcast episode for the ladies where I said, ladies, don't treat him like he's going to hurt you. You know, that doesn't feel good. No one would feel good entering into something with a new person. And yet this person's like treating you like, oh, you've done this. That doesn't feel good. So I say, no, don't enter into it that way. Now you can own it. But I want you to let him know this is this is my thing. This is something I'm working through. And, you know, I'm actively working on this. And yet I want to try again. I want to be open and receptive with you. I want to really learn how to be vulnerable again. But people love that. There's something about that that people are like, wow, that's refreshing. (laughs) It is refreshing to hear about the healing and growth that can happen in breakups. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering why. Some people don't learn. (laughs) And what I mean by that is, you know, many people enter into the same dysfunctional relationships again and again. So you mentioned how we learn about relating and we have these attachment patterns from our family of origin and from our primary caregivers when we were raised. And we want to gain an awareness of this patterning that we're carrying from relationship to relationship. And it's incredible that many people do not 
become self-aware and do not undo these patternings. So I'm wondering what tips you might have for somebody to increase this level of self-awareness and to undo these patternings and not enter into the same dysfunctional relationships again and again. So I'm also very passionate about emotional intelligence. Uh, That's another uh, skill I like to teach people is uh, we start with ourselves. So that self-awareness, that self-assessment, and then that self-regulation, that's where it starts is with us. And then we go out. We go out to be socially aware and we learn how to manage others and their feelings and their thoughts. But it really begins with us. We've got to know ourselves. And it's so surprising to me how many people don't really know themselves. They will enter into situations thinking, oh, this is okay. I could deal with it. And then six months in, I can't deal with it. (laughs) I don't like this. (laughs) I'm like, didn't you know? Like, I know myself pretty well, you know, that no, a person who smokes is is a deal breaker. Or a person who is unemployed is a deal breaker. Like we got to know that on the front end, that this is not something I could accept or tolerate. So I really teach people how to know themselves better, you know, get to know yourself better and regulate your emotions. That helps so much. And then we work on social awareness. But a lot of people don't have good emotional intelligence. They don't know themselves or they don't like what they find, you know, they find out things about themselves and they feel like it should be different. And I say, it is what it is. Like it is what it is. If you don't like that, or if you can't live with that, you got to own it. You got to honor that that's how you feel. And so it's hard work. You know, it is hard work doing that self-assessing. It's it's hard work. That's why most people won't do it because it's painful to really get to know yourself and to kind of own this is who I am. This is what I'm about or this is what I like or don't like. People want to be chameleons nowadays. They want to change colors based on who they're with or what's happening. And I say, yes, it's important to be adaptable. But at the same time, I want you to honor yourself. You've got to honor yourself and what you want and don't want and what you need. So yeah, that emotional intelligence piece is a big one. So self-awareness, self-assessment, and self-regulation. And again, I appreciate owning yourself, honoring yourself, knowing yourself, your truth, and what it is that you want in your relationships and your life. Right. So I want to tackle one more question I had about breakups. And it kind of goes into when you're in a relationship, are there things you might want to be doing or things you might want to not be doing in order to sort of to sort of prepare for a breakup in the future? And I realize it's kind of like a dance, kind of like a middle way. You know, you want to be fully in the relationship and you don't want to like protect yourself or guard yourself, but also recognize maybe you're going too fast into things and maybe need to take an honest appraisal of the relationship before you move in together, before you make the next step in your relationship. So are there things we might want to be doing in a relationship to make the breakup process a little easier if worse comes to worse and it ends up happening? If you are in a a relationship and you find that, again, your values don't link up, that you don't like the way you're being treated or your feelings change for a person. One of the ways I help people to prepare is to rally the troops as the first thing. You're going to need a lot of support. So you're going to start rallying the troops, your friends, your family members, 
and just letting them know, you know, I don't know if this is the best relationship for me, or I don't feel good in this relationship anymore. And I think I want to start transitioning out of it. And I really need you all support. I really need to have someone to text or call. So I'm not tempted to text or call this person. Just rallying your, your tribe, your team, letting them know you need support seeing a therapist. I I see so many folks and I have a a lady now who's three months out and she's finally feeling really good. But yeah, she came every week for three months because it was really, really hard. And, you know, she had some behaviors going on that were just hard. So she needed her family, her friends and the support of a therapist to kind of get her through this period of time. If you're married, that of course has a whole nother set of things that you kind of need to be doing and thinking about as far as the legal aspect, if you have children. Um, But yes, just preparing yourself for going through that period of no contact, making sure you have other distractions in your life, other things that you can be doing. And just honestly, I tell every person this, I know it doesn't sound good when I say it, but focusing on protecting yourself. I find sometimes people will go through breakups and they worry more about the other person and their feelings and their thoughts. No, now is the time for you to worry about you. You must protect yourself. And so I had a lady who said, oh, my ex continues to call. You know, I told him about the no contact and he keeps calling. And so I keep answering. No, you have to. I said, how does that make you feel? Well, I don't feel good just hearing his voice. It's like you said, I am trying to detox and then hearing his voice puts me back in a bad space. Okay, so you have to protect yourself. Do not answer. Self-love. Yep. I realize this is almost material for a whole nother episode. So you might mm-hmm. just have to come back for us to yep. talk about it because yep. you did mention how being married adds a whole new layer of, of challenges and difficulties. And that was what I was thinking, like, OK, I hear that you're recommending this detox period, this breakoff period. And what about when your lives are so intertwined? What about when right. you have kids and you need to hand them off? Um, and I was also imagining, well, what if one partner in the marriage is financially dependent on the other. Right, and, right. you know, what kind of support do you want to give afterwards? So I realize, you know, that might be a whole nother episode, but how does this apply to, yes, let's say an entrenched marriage with children and we're moving away from breakup to just divorce and how do we honor ourselves while acknowledging the reality of the interaction we're going to have with our with our spouse? Right, so I went through this myself. I went through going through a divorce, having three children, being a stay-at-home mother. So I was solely uh, dependent on my husband, who was the breadwinner. Yes, I went through this very thing myself, and I had to set up healthy boundaries. I had to um, get my tribe involved, right? So every time the children needed to be passed off, I dropped them to that person's house and he picked them up from that person's house. And we went through a long period where there was very little contact, minimal contact. And people were surprised at how I pulled it off, but I needed to detox. I needed to set up healthy boundaries. I needed to protect myself. And so that's what I did. It is possible. It is possible, but you're going to need the support of your tribe. It's not something you're going to do by yourself. 
I thank God every day. You know, it's been 17 years now, but I remember, I remember those first two years and my tribe just rallying around me, um, supporting me, my parents, people supporting me. And that is everything. You're going to need your tribe. You're going to need people around you to help you get through that period of time. And Yes, it took about two years. It took about five years for me to completely detox to the point of feeling healed, feeling whole, ready to date again and engage a man again. It took about five years because of the nature of the marriage and it being so entrenched. So take your time. Take your time. Don't rush. Don't jump into something because you will only repeat that cycle again. You know, really take your time and make sure that you are in a good place to start again with someone new. But yes, I went through that very thing myself and you're going to need people. Wow. So you're not just talking the talk over here. You've walked the walk. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) I've been there. there. Yep. Yeah. Speaking from experience. Wow. So thank you so much, Anita, for coming on to the show. Thank you. Uh, I don't know how the time went by. I have like five pages of notes here just from my talk with you. I've already learned so much. And I wanted to end by asking a question that I love to ask all of my guests, which is quite simply, what do you wish everyone knew about love? So what I wish everyone knew about love is that it will never end. It will never die. Love will always be available to you. What I want people to open themselves up to, though, is that love comes in so many forms. I don't want you to be stuck on this idea of a romantic relationship. So I have lots of love in my life. I have the love of my dog, my cat, my children. I have the love of my family, the love of my friends, the love of my plants, um, (laughs) the love of my work. I want people to expand this idea of love, that it's more than just the love of a romantic partner. You know, you have there's you have love available to you. It's never going anywhere. It will never die. It's like energy. It's always there, always ready, always available, and it's out here. It's out here for everyone in many different forms. I find that when you unlock these other forms of love, it will of course you know, this romantic partner, this romantic love will find you as well. But just be open, be open to all the forms of love that are out here available to you. Be open to all the forms of love. Thank you so much, Anita, for coming on to the show. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. And for our listeners who want to learn more about you and work with you, how do they find you? And do you have any offerings uh, you want people to know about? So if you go to my website, you can put your email address in and get a free course on breakups, breakup survival skills. There is a free course there for you that I would love for you to take. And that will be your first step in kind of getting onto this three-step process. Better Love Movement is everywhere you may find it. The podcast, you may listen on all platforms that podcasts are on. Facebook, Better Love Movement. Instagram is Better Love Movement. And the website, betterlovemovement.com. Thank you so much for the work you're doing in the world. 
Thank you for having me and thank you. And so thanks again, Anita, for coming on to the show. And thank you listeners for listening to the show. We hope you remember all the things we talked about today, including that healthy love is a 50-50 blend of the head and the heart. And that if you are going through a breakup, remember it's a three-step process. Grieve and mourn. You can assess and own your part of it. And don't forget to take time to heal. Own your ultimate goal, honor yourself, love yourself, and remember that there are so many ways to love in this world, so many forms and relationships that love can take, and love will never end or die, but it's available everywhere. If you want to learn more about me, you can head to zachbeach.com and learn more about the show at theheartcenter.com. Thanks again, Anita. Have a good one. Thanks again for listening to the Learn to Love podcast. To learn more about the show and your host, head over to ZachBeach.com or TheHeartCenter.com. You can also follow Zach on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.